Welcome to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. I'm Rob Steele. And I'm Jordan Duncan. And our desire with this podcast is to show you how easy and enjoyable it is to come to Scripture and walk away having heard the words of God and being changed by them. Amen. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 8 of our podcast. We're going through Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 56 today. Uh, Sorry, 7 to 52 today. Um, It just kind of ties itself in nicely as a little package, and we're going to work through it together as a a chunk. Rob and I just sat down and read it just now, and we're just going to start talking about it because... Uh, again, what we're wanting to do with this podcast is just show you how really easy it is to open up the Bible, read it, and then have your life have your life changed by it. Because um, what happens when you read the Bible and think about it <laughs> is the Lord just begins to speak to you. And so it's so easy to sit down and read the Bible and get confused and then walk away saying, I don't get this. I don't know what this is supposed to do for me. Yeah. I've been told this is the word of God and it's powerful and will change my life. But this seems really strange and I don't get it. And I, I have very little clue even what's going on in the story, let alone what it has to do with me and my life. And truthfully, that's actually how I feel about this passage. <laughs> I, honestly, and that's that's how I felt about the last passage that we just recorded, yeah, um, episode seven. And then, as Rob and I started talking about it and pointing out things that we noticed in it, and asking questions, and making uh, connections, comparing and contrasting different things the Lord just begins to speak. And yeah. I think the Bible's meant to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. It is it is the word of God, but it's not a complete sentence hmm. in, the, in the sense of, I don't think anytime the Lord speaks to us, it's ever supposed to, it's, not, it's never just this um, tightly formed word that he goes, that's actually all I wanted to say to you. Now right. go leave me alone until I have something else. Yeah. Everything he says to us is in connection with something else he's saying, Mm -hmm. what else he wants to say in the future. And so anytime you receive a word from God that is um, from prophecy, from maybe you have a dream, whether it's a word of uh, a sermon or you're reading the Bible for yourself, come, it's like you listen to that, you receive that word from the Lord, and then you respond to it with your own thoughts, feelings, questions and you, it's a conversation and whatever the Lord gives you is just the beginning of that. He's starting a conversation with you. It's up to you to then respond and continue on that conversation. And when you do, he'll begin speaking more things. Mm -hmm. And it's great to do this in connection with other people. I would never want to take on this podcast alone because that actually wouldn't even make sense. Um, And so Rob and I are just going to begin discussing it together and asking questions of each other, but letting the Lord speak to us as we do that. And hopefully then you'll see how that works for you and how you can respond to the text and let the Lord speak to you as you read any text of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay. So you started off with a sermon last time and <laughs> I did not plan that, but that was, um, let's just get into the text. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> no, I really was. I was going to say that exact thing. He kind of, he threw it in my face last time. So <laughs> I'm glad you threw it in your own this time. Yeah, I see it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> chapter six, verse seven. 
Jesus sends out his 12 um, disciples here, and it, by nature of sending them out, uh, the, you know, the, Greek, the word apostle comes from the Greek word to be sent out. Mm-hmm. So we, we see the beginning of the apostles here. He gives them authority as he sends them out, specifically authority over unclean spirits, which is neat, having just read that passage about all the power that the king walks in. Mm-hmm. And then the king sends out those who have been walking with him and gives them his authority in, to do things that we've just been seeing him do. He gives them an interesting charge to not take anything with them. Yeah. Tells them to stay in just one house wherever you go. Uh, but if that place will not receive you, and by that he means if they're not listening to you, then shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so then they do. They go out, they proclaim that people should repent. They cast out many with demons, anoint people with oil, and heal them. Mm-hmm. Rob, what are, what do we do with this? <laughs> um, I was actually, I think part of it was realizing that I think this whole section um, is actually really closely tied into the last episode we had. Hmm. Uh, so I think that we see Jesus in the last episode, in last, uh, in specifically in chapter five, end of chapter four and five, we see him functioning in these same sorts of things that we see now the apostles functioning in. Hmm. And I think that that's really supposed to tell us that that's how the kingdom expands that it's not just in his hands, but that he actually wants the kingdom to expand through the hands of everyone whom comes in contact with him. So those that have responded to him rightly, as we saw in the last one with faith and reverence and worship and those sorts of things that are his disciples following him, he then sends out with the authority to, uh, to do as he does. And so um, I think that there's just something really beautiful about the fact that they're doing the same things he's doing. They've been given this authority. It's not just random, right? So if we, if we looked back even to the demon possessed man in the last one, what did he get the, like, what was his charge? Go proclaim. Hmm. He does. And yeah. what happens? People marvel. What are the, what's their charge? Go do what I've been doing. Cast out demons, heal people and preach repentance. So they start doing what Jesus has been doing. And we see in verse 13 that they actually start, it actually happens. It's not just them trying to have happen what's coming, but it actually happens. And I think that in some respects, he's setting them up and he's setting us up as as we read it to say, um, there's going to be people not receive you. So go, go as an act of faith. So don't take any of this extra stuff. You don't need everything. You don't need to plan your whole journey. You don't need to make sure that you're totally taken care of. Have faith. So let this be a faith journey. Now go in faith and do what I've asked you to do. And when you're out there, there's going to be some people that don't like it and not listen. Reject them. Hmm. <laughs> Which is a little harsh. Yeah. But it's actually, he goes as far as to say, like, have a testimony against those people. Hmm. So there's going to be people that have, uh, that respond well. And they'll receive those things and it'll go well. But then there's going to be people that respond poorly and don't receive it. Then just make sure that you don't bring any of that with you. Don't even bring the dust from their homes, from their towns. Hmm. They don't res- if they don't respect Jesus, then don't take it. Just move on. 
I think that's got to be a big statement for us, even as we go out into the world and go on mission, mm. is that we're actually not supposed to carry the stuff for when we're rejected. Hmm. And we're supposed to go in faith, doing what he's doing, and just be willing to go, okay, they didn't say yes, so I'll let that go. I won't even, I won't even bring the slightest bit of dust from that. And I'm going to go over now and try over here instead. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes haters going to hate. <laughs> and you just got to shake it off. <laughs> you were smiling that whole time I was talking. That's what you were smiling That's about, what wasn't smiling it? smiling about. <laughs> Haters gonna hate. You heard it here, episode eight. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna write that down because yeah. that's haters gonna hate. That's what I'm gonna call this one. Yeah, it's a good section. Um, <laughs> I the only other thing that I have a thought on here is I just I, the phrase anointed with oil stood out to me, and I wasn't sure why, mm. and then. I was thinking about how, okay, so Jesus is the king. We see what he's doing in his kingdom. And then he sends out um, these apostles with his kingly authority. And in the Old Testament, there's these offices of king, prophet, and priest. And so Jesus sends them out here with authority. That's the kingly role. He... they go out proclaiming that people should repent. That's the prophet role mm. and they're anointing with oil, which is what priests do. Huh? So I don't have further thoughts on that. I just started making those connections now. Um, but I think it's worth thinking about how Jesus sends us out because also through the gospels, Jesus shows himself as he's the King. He's obviously yeah. a prophet yeah. and he's um, the high priest which gets explored a lot later in, um, in some of the letters, but wow, that's a good pickup. He sends us out in those roles as well. Yeah. That's a good pickup. I didn't see that, but I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, the next part. Okay. I don't know what I want to do here. I think let's, okay. Let's just take a quick overview of the whole rest of what's in this passage. Sure. So there's a story about King Herod and it, it segues into King Herod had heard of what Jesus is doing here with his apostles because Jesus's name has been known. And there's a question of King Herod's asking, who is Jesus? And some people think he's Elijah. Some people are like, well, he's just a prophet like those of old, like Elijah. And Herod's pretty sure that maybe he's John the Baptist uh, being raised from the dead. Yeah. And there's, and then, so it goes on to then explain Herod's relationship with John the Baptist Yeah. and how John the Baptist came to die, which was at the hand of Herod. Yeah. And it's just a really strange story. And I'm like, why is this just being thrown in the middle of it? Mm. Um, so I have some thoughts on that story, but then it, this, the narrative keeps moving and it's almost like that was just an aside right? because Jesus is doing all this stuff. He's doing all these miracles, sends out the disciples. And then there's this weird section about Herod and John the Baptist inserted. And then it goes back to the apostles return to Jesus. Hmm. And then they tell him everything about their journey. Uh, and then the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 
And then the miracle of Jesus walking on water as the disciples leave after the 5,000 miracle, they Mm -hmm. go across the lake. Uh, Jesus finally gets his alone time, which he's been seeking this whole passage. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) yeah, we'll get to that story to pick it apart a little bit later. But at the end of it, the last verse of this passage, the disciples are utterly astounded that Jesus, again, was walking on water, that when he gets into the boat, the wind ceases. For they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. And so at the end of reading this passage, I was kind of sitting here going, I don't get why all these things, like what is going on here? Like for, so they did not understand about the loaves. And I go, what were we supposed to understand about the loaves? I'm not sure I get that. Right. And then going, why is this Herod story in the middle of these things? Because that doesn't have to, seem to have to do with anything. Just seems like it's an aside. Um, so then I started comparing the stories and going, what, what's the connection point here? Yeah. And that's where I started. I think I've started to see what these stories have to do with each other. Okay. So, um, let's just talk about the John, the, or the Herod and John the Baptist story first. Do you okay. have any thoughts there? Well, I feel like I want you to keep going because <laughs> I have some thoughts, but yeah. you you've set me up and okay. now I'm like, I'm waiting for it. Just just preach. Okay. Just well, <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I think what why this story is in here at all is it seems like the intro of it is asking the question, who is Jesus? Which mm-hmm. is a, the question we get asked throughout here. One of the options is that Jesus is John the Baptist. Right. Or trying to figure out what the relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist is. Mm. And I'm having a hard time remembering from a few months ago when we talked about Jesus and John the Baptist, but it seems like, I, was it here that we were reading and, and Mark makes a really big distinction between John the Baptist going, are you the guy I thought you were? Cause is that from Mark? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there, there it makes a distinction between Jesus and John and going, um, they're different people. John wasn't even sure who Jesus was right. at some points and, and they had, a, they had to figure out what they were uh, together. But so maybe for the, the mass population after Jesus' death, um, whoever Mark is writing to, they're going, okay, but there was a couple of very interesting people walking around Israel at that time. Mm-hmm. We're hearing reports that they were connected. Like, so y- you were talking about how popular John was. Yeah, yeah. So if anyone's heard of Jesus... Yeah. They've probably also heard of this guy, John. Yeah. And they're at the same time. We know that somehow they're related in themes, in what they're doing. Yeah. We've even heard maybe they're cousins. Yeah. And then like if Mark is writing to someone far away, as far away as Rome, they may be going, were these two people the same person? Yeah. Did they get it wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no, like, you have to think about it without any ability to creep. Yeah. Right? Like you can't just Facebook John the Baptist and go, go, oh, that's a different guy. Yeah. I'm just going to figure it out. You're relying completely on the stories you listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of stories out there. Yeah. And a lot of it is hearsay. Yeah. Um, There's official stories as well. But I think maybe Mark is writing this very skillfully, brings in the Herod story 
to raise the question for people who are saying, are John and Jesus the same person? Yeah. Because Herod thinks Jesus is John the Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> whom he beheaded. Yeah. Uh, and then tells a story about how Herod was actually a really big fan of John's. Yeah. Um, and yet then gives this story about how Herod, the king of the Jews, uh, made a really foolish, it, it just paints him as a foolish ruler here yeah. and a foolish king. And, um, Reminds me a little bit of the Esther story. Totally. And I'm not, I'm not sure what that has to do with anything just yet. But Herod, even though he loves this guy, made some stupid vows as a ruler, some stupid decisions in who he's marrying, um, promises, and ends up having to kill John the Baptist, which he was exceedingly sorry about. Mm-hmm. But he had to do it to impress the guests and not break his word. And so he beheads John the Baptist in prison, brings, and then Mark is really specific that the, the head of John the Baptist was brought out on a platter, given to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother. And then when John's disciples heard of it, they came and took his body away and laid it in a tomb. Yeah. So it's almost to say, Jesus is not John the Baptist. John the Baptist is buried in a tomb. Yeah. We know where he is. Yeah. He's been decapitated. Like yeah. he didn't just... You know, maybe there's some other stories around this time of people coming back from the dead. When you're decapitated, it seems a little bit more difficult to believe. So maybe that's why this is in here for one reason. So I agree. I think that that's one reason. Now I have another theory. Mm -hmm. I think that in some respect, it's almost also connected to the first section Mm-hmm. Where Jesus is sending out the 12. Okay. And the connection I think that there is there is that, um, as you pointed out, uh, Jesus is a prophet and he sends people out with his authority and they start acting prophetically, oh. right? Calling people to repentance. Yeah. Now, remember John the Baptist, hmm. who Jesus says is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, meaning mm-hmm. he was a prophet, known as a prophet in this time. And once again, we have someone acting in this prophetic way, calling people to repentance. So in the story of Herod and John the Baptist, he literally is saying, you can't do this, literally calling him to repentance. Hmm. But once again, people being confronted with the kingdom have a choice to make. And Herod, who likes John the Baptist and is actually sorry for doing anything bad to him, still will not lay himself down Mm -hmm. at the feet of a new kingdom that is being ushered in. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in some ways it's a continued connection of those who function in the kingdom will actually receive the same backlash that we see Jesus receive. Hmm. And so Jesus, John is, now John is not Jesus. And I think that's really important, the point you're making, which is let's put a stake in the ground. Is it not the same people? Yeah. And so John will not respond to the persecution the same way Jesus can respond to the persecution. He actually is just one that has been given authority. Now that that's a key part because I think also we're seeing two kings Mm. function very differently in how they give their authority to someone who is pleasing them. Mm. So Jesus is saying, 
So who were the 12? Well, the 12 were those that he wanted with him, that he wanted to have do his, like live his life with him, yeah. right? He was pleased with them and wanted to do this life with them. How does he give his authority? Go and do as I do. Herod, pleased by this young girl, which means very different things than how yeah. the other pleasing was, but uh, is pleased by this young girl. And what does he do? I'll give you half my kingdom. Hmm. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So the, the response of, I think you're picking up on it as well, saying the response of how a king should act versus how a king shouldn't act. Yeah. And that they're both kings in charge of kingdoms. And what Herod can do is I can give you pieces of my kingdom so that it's no longer mine. It's now yours. Yeah. Whereas Jesus says, I can give you the authority to actually walk in my hmm. kingdom like me but it's still my kingdom. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Does that makes sense? Totally. Totally. Because I started seeing those same things. Like I go, oh, this is, a, this is in here because it's a tale of two kings. Yeah. And, but I saw it as the Herod story and then Jesus feeds the 5,000. I didn't even make the connection to Jesus giving authority. And then Herod saying, I will give you half my kingdom. Yeah. I didn't see that connection. That's really good. Because Herod knows if he gives her more, then he'll lose his whole kingdom. Mm. So, right? He's like, I'm so pleased I would even give you half hmm. so that I'm still king, but you'd be ruler over half. Yeah. Whereas Jesus goes, this is my kingdom and it will only have authority as long as I'm the king, hmm. but I will give you authority to walk like me, act like me in kingly ways mm-hmm. rather than to take a part of it for yourself. Yeah knowing that nobody could handle it. Nobody could hold it. Yeah. Right. So it is a partially about John the Baptist in being someone that functioned as a prophet, received persecution, can't respond to persecution like Jesus, but because he was functioning like Jesus, because there are similarities, mm-hmm. um, he's going to have persecution against him. And so for us, when we start functioning like Jesus, there's going to be persecution. How do we respond to persecution? You wipe the dust off your feet. You don't even receive it. Mm. Right. But it might be a certain amount of persecution you can't reject, yeah. like beheading. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really reject that. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> right? Um, but then I think that it's just as much about, like you said, a tale of two kings. Mm-hmm. What, what tipped me off to that was in the Jesus Feeds the 5,000 story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to like point this out so people see. There's like really here's the footprints I took to get to this realization. I didn't just like compare the two in my own brilliance here, but um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He comes ashore. Um, Sorry. No, he, he's calling the disciples away to a desolate place to rest a while because there are so many people coming and going. They didn't even have leisure enough to eat. So they're pretty hungry. So they go, oh yeah, so they go away in a boat to a desolate place. But when they show up there, people had already got there Mm -hmm. because they saw where they were going. And so Jesus goes ashore and when he sees the great crowd, he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. So that phrase really caught me off Mm -hmm. because Mark's pretty like, here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened. And then he uses this like... It's all of a sudden he's healing. writing this like fictional story, right? Right. He's not just telling a, a 
not fiction, but um, he's adding flourish to the narrative he's telling. Yeah, and he's right. not just saying, and then Jesus got off the boat and Jesus saw the people and they were hungry. Yeah. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. So that really caught my attention. Huh. And I started thinking, where have I heard sheep without a shepherd before? Right. And I didn't know. So I Googled it. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out Ezekiel 34 yeah. is this long passage about God condemning the leaders of Israel as being bad shepherds for mm. not caring for the people. Mm. And so he says, Israel has had all these bad rulers, kings, who are terrible shepherds. They don't take care of the people. Mm. Um, they're foolish and goes on to describe that. And then says that I will come and be a good shepherd um, to you, or I'll send you a good shepherd. Right. So first of all, well, oh, that's Jesus then. Right. Jesus is that good shepherd that Ezekiel yeah. was talking about. Yeah. But then I realized that that's where the Herod piece comes in because he's a bad shepherd. Right. He's just one of many of Israel's bad shepherds. Right. And this story illustrates how, how that is. Wow. And then so by contrast, Jesus here, he's starving. His disciples are starving. They need a place to rest a while. Yeah. They get there and there's already a great crowd of well over 5,000 people. Yeah. And instead of being selfish yeah. and having these foolish, selfish motivations, Jesus has compassion yeah. on the people of Israel and leads them like a good shepherd. It's really good. I think the, um, just a couple points. Uh, first, before I talk about what you're talking about, just mm -hmm. for anyone that's listening, um, I just want to actually highlight the fact that Jordan Googled something, <laughs> not, not to point out that that's bad. But to say, if something isn't making sense or you have like a, oh, what is this from? And you don't have tools at your disposal like commentaries or you don't have a background of study, that's actually an okay thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like it's actually, that's a great thing to just go, oh, sheep without a shepherd, that sounds familiar and type it in. And maybe it's like a song to an 80s, you know, it's like you heard it from an 80s metal band yeah. or something like that. But but on the other side, it's very likely that's probably not the case. And well, actually, I like <laughs> I use Google all the time for um, like I have a great Bible um, program that I use to yeah. search things. But most of the time, whatever phrases in my head doesn't come up exactly in the in yeah. the text. Yeah. If I Google it, I'll always find it because yeah. someone else has. I mean, Google's actually just a really good search engine. So. Yeah. Um, that's how I find stuff in the Bible that I don't know where it is, which is all the time. All I the have time. the phrases in my head. And a lot of the time, not a lot of the time, there's been some times where I've Googled like, oh, where is this verse? And I'll type in the phrase yeah. from the verse that's yeah. in my head. And I find out it's actually not in the Bible. It, it is a, a 90s Christian worship <laughs> song. <laughs> and I go, that's not in the Bible? I thought that was scripture this whole time. And it's just... Uh, early vineyard song that we sang years ago. Awesome. But it's, it's a, a, hopefully you hear it as an encouragement. There's yeah. no, there's no wrong way of doing this. If you're actually, your heart is to understand, uh, take whatever tools you have. Most of you have a phone that'll allow you to do that. Um, or whatever device you're listening to this on, just hit the search, Google search and, you know, read a little bit and, and it's okay. Also at the same point, if these aren't your questions, remember that we're just coming at this. Some things have popped up for us. We're trying to make some connections. What is this saying? Why does this matter? And like Jordan said at the beginning, uh, let 
be led a little bit by your questions. If there are questions, jump into those because probably the Lord wants you to have those questions and he wants you to journey a little bit to find them because he actually loves uh, revealing himself to you and he wants you to know some deep truths about himself. Okay, back to the text. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was important because we've gone around the loop a little bit here and we're, we're kind of out there mm-hmm. a bit putting some things together. But I th- actually think that's a good thing. Not yeah. everything is really plain. And if you come to the scriptures and you go, what does this mean? And why is this happening? You know, a a good Google search sometimes answers a lot uh, in the midst of that. Now, back to compassion. Okay. The one note that I had uh, on them. This is literally my only note on the miracle of the feeding, which I'm not sure that that's a good thing. (laughs) But I read that whole section and went, I only have this one question or note in it, Mm -hmm. which is, I think it's interesting because I think Jesus's compassion uh, is actually supposed to be uh, rev- like something that's revealing an aspect of the kingdom to the disciples and their response hmm. is not that. Hmm. And so it's not even that they have an evil response. It's just not a kingdom response. And so Jesus says to his people have been out ministering. They've been out doing so many things. He says, let's go take some rest. And then they don't get the rest they want because a whole bunch of people show up that are in need. Hmm. And so Jesus has compassion on the people in that moment when he's tired, when he's hungry, when he would like some rest himself and his people around him are the same. He still has compassion because that's a way of the kingdom. Uh, the disciples' response is the compassion is okay to an extent, right? It's like, yeah. okay, so Jesus is going to take care of them. We can sit while Jesus takes care of them. Now it's time to go, Jesus. Send them away. Uh, they're going to have to eat, right? We're taking care of them. They're going to have to eat. Let's send them to get something to eat. And I think the response, I think what I'm hearing or seeing there is Jesus kind of goes, oh, the compassionate response actually should have been, um, how can we feed these people? Hmm. Uh, Not not one of, what? How can we feed them, (laughs) Jesus? You want us to go spend all this money on them? Oh, this is our problem now? Yeah, but more one of, we want to care for them. We want to take care of them. Look at their faith. So how do we feed them? Um, And that's, I think that's the way of the kingdom in the midst of this, that Jesus is revealing to them or trying to reveal to them. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Totally. Good. good. Yeah. Um, There's two things uh, other than, yeah. There's two more things in in the Jesus feeds the 5,000 story that, I think are hyperlinks elsewhere. Yeah. The first is uh, Jesus took the loaves, blessed them, broke them, gave them. Yeah. Good. Where does that come up again? Yeah. The those are the same verbs uh, used in the Last Supper. Yeah. Of what Jesus does in instituting communion, um, and then it's kind of interesting because Luke. I don't know if he has the story of the feeding of the 5,000, but in the story about being on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, Jesus uh, takes the bread, gives, blesses it, breaks it, gives it. Yeah. And so these, these verbs are really important. Yeah. Apparently (laughs) to, to the apostles and they, um, because of the last supper and because of communion. And so they insert them specifically into this 
into other stories yeah. Yeah. where Jesus is doing similar things. So I think there's stuff there that you can reflect on. Um, another thing that stood out to me was verse 42 says, and they all ate and were satisfied. Mm, I like that. The only reason this stood out to me was because uh, I think I was just reading through Mark and through Leviticus around the same time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know which one tipped me off to the other, but in Leviticus and then later in Deuteronomy, um, it's talking about if you, you know, obey the Lord, here's the blessings that will come. And one of the blessings is you will eat and be satisfied. Mm. And then if you don't obey the Lord, one of the curses is you will eat and you won't be satisfied. Wow. And, hmm. and then, so I actually don't know if Mark is being intentional here to say, this is a time of the Lord's blessing here. Right. And they all ate and were satisfied. And you see hmm. the kingdom has come in that because hmm. that's a, that's something you're looking for. Hmm. But just to point out uh, that the more you read the Bible, the more you see how it's connected. Totally. And like, that was just a little phrase that somehow my mind went, I feel like I've read that some, I think I was reading it in Leviticus and went, they all ate and were satisfied. That f- sounds familiar. Hmm. And then again, Googled it. Googled it. Cause uh, where, uh, you know, I don't know if that phrase was just going to be so specific. It would come up in whatever translation I was searching in, but. Or Michael W. Smith. Yeah, or maybe it was a Michael <laughs> W. Smith <laughs> line. Um, yeah, I really like the 12 baskets being left over. I think that mm-hmm. the fact that everyone ate were satisfied, hmm. the 12 did the work mm-hmm. the, of the kingdom, and there was enough left over for them. Yeah. So ev- when it says everyone ate and were satisfied, it, it isn't talking about the 12, but you could apply it to the 12. Oh, right. That there's still, there's an exactly enough food left over to make sure that those who were ministering to the people in need were taken care of. I had no idea. <laughs> I've always wondered why is there 12 baskets? And I'm mm. like, I don't know, 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I think yes, actually. Yeah. But also 12 apostles. I'm like, the only other option is the 12 apostles, but, what, and they're right there. I get it now. I get it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Again, the, reading this story, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Cause the, this passage ends with, they did not understand about the loaves. Yeah. And their hearts were hardened. I'm yeah. like, my heart must be hardened because I'm not sure I get it either. <laughs> but now I think it's softening. I think I'm getting it. Uh, so immediately after this, he makes the disciples get in the boat and they go before him to the other side and he dismisses the crowd. And then he goes up onto the mountain to pray at evening, the disciples are out on the sea. He's alone on land. He sees from the mountain that they're making headway painfully because the wind's against them. So it's not even a storm here. It's just no. um, they're having a hard time. Yeah. And they're, it sounds like, I don't know when the fourth watch of the night is, but, oh, my note, there's a, the ESV has, oh, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Oh, wow. Um, I'm imagining there was a full moon because I don't know how Jesus saw them way out there through the middle of the night, but Jesus is up on the mountain praying in the very middle of the night. The disciples are stuck out on the sea. Nothing terrible is happening other than it's been a long day and it's three in the morning and you're 
stuck out on the seat. You yeah. can't get across where you're going. And uh, I hope you have some insight here because Jesus, <laughs> Jesus sees this. He comes to them walking on the sea. Wow, that's amazing. He meant to pass by them. He wasn't even coming to help. He was coming to laugh at them or like what? So that is literally what I wrote down. I just wrote, he meant to pass by them. I went, oh, wow. He saw they were struggling and left them. <laughs> and, yet, yeah. um, and yet they see him out there, think he's a ghost and get afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but immediately he, sp- he speaks to them, says, take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. Yeah. Um, probably, again, paralleling the last time they were on the sea and they were afraid of the storm. Mm-hmm. And he gets into the boat, the wind ceases, and they are utterly astounded. They're utterly astounded about what happens here because they didn't understand about the loaves. Yeah. What's the connection between what happens here and what the loaves are saying. I was uh, going to ask you that. Yes. Um, <laughs> you do it. <laughs> okay. So a couple of things. One, the meant to pass by them is massive. I think it's important partially that it's actually not a storm, hmm. right? He's not mm-hmm. coming to save them because they don't actually need saved. They're literally just struggling to get across the sea because it's slow, mm-hmm. not because they're in danger. Yeah. There's no danger to them. It's not, it's not giving us any of those feels. Yeah. Um, I think that the... Uh, him walking past them on the water. Partially I go, hold on a second. This wasn't for the sake of them seeing him. He meant to pass by them. Like he literally meant to walk on water (laughs) to get across the sea. Yeah. How many times did he do stuff like that that we don't even know of? Yeah. That part was like, that's just fun. Where he's like, he just does random miraculous things. When no one's watching. When no one's watching. So cool. Anyways, uh, I agree. I think this is like a, it's a, it's a small hyperlink. It's just jumping back to earlier in Mark, Mm. showing the fear Mm. once again that they have. Um, I think that the, you know, Jesus is, uh, he is correcting them. He's not rebuking them, Mm. but he is correcting them and he's correcting their fear again. I think that once again, he's correcting their fear and they didn't get it because he again is showing them his actual um, authority over creation and they are not seeing that clearly. So he reveals to them, hey, we've got five loaves, two fish. I'm going to feed 5,000 people plus I'm going to make sure you have enough to eat. There's going to be leftovers. I'm going to do all of that miraculously. And you need to see that there's nothing outside of my control here. Mm. I think he's consistently trying to show them that. Mm -hmm. And that they're once again going, they're putting their fear, they're putting their efforts into what's going on around them. Uh, They're afraid that there's a ghost right? They're terrified. It's a ghost. They're terrified. And once again, he goes, guys, you still have fear in creation. Hmm. Like there's still this stuff in this world that scares you Hmm. after all of this. I can take care of all of those people on the shore. You can be a part of me taking care of that. Hmm. And you're still afraid because there might be something in the water 
um, do you not see that you are still putting your fears into uh, an unnatural or a cre- created thing, uh, which is unnatural fear rather than a reverence in me? That's the only connection I really have. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered the same thing uh, because I because I don't see anything other than he's consistently showing that within the kingdom he's king over creation, not just over spiritual matters. Yeah, and that because he's king over creation, there's no created mm. thing to fear. There's no created thing that isn't under his control or within his grasp. And so we uh, consistently he's going. Do you really not get it yet? Yeah, I can show you this in so many ways, and you still are missing the point, hmm. right? Um, yeah, yeah, I see that now, and what, with what you pointed out um, with the compassion in the miracle of feeding the five thousand, I see how it's illustrating here what he's doing as a good shepherd in taking care of his people, yeah, and caring for them. Um, take heart, take care. Yeah. And he comes with compassion to care for the big crowds, his disciples, whereas uh, the actual king of the Jews, I mean, from a historical perspective, at this point is not really taking care of... He's there to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like... So, I mean, reading it just really plainly, Verse 51, 52, he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So he specifically is, is saying, it, it sounds to me like what they're astounded about is probably the walking on water and the wind ceasing again. So mm-hmm. he's referencing the wind ceasing specifically. Mm-hmm. And they did not understand about the loaves, another physical created thing mm-hmm. specifically. So yeah. it's not saying they did not understand that Jesus did miraculous things here yeah. and is now doing miraculous things here. It's not talking about the spiritual nature. It's talking about the created nature. Yeah. The wind ceased because they didn't get the bread multiplied. Yeah. And so they're, it's actually interesting that they're utterly astounded. Mm-hmm. So their awe came from something that they should have already known. Yeah. Which is... Interesting. I'm now seeing this connection to like what you're saying. He's king over creation. Yeah. And the, all the power stories we read about in the last chapter or passage, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing that there's these physical ties in every one of those stories. Cause I'm thinking about them from a spiritual perspective. Right. So demons. Right. Yeah. But the, it was a very physical thing that this, like this guy had to be bound in shackles and chains yeah. because of the spiritual thing going on, yeah. but physically bound. And then what happens as a result of that is they go into pigs, which are mm-hmm. physical, which rush down a steep bank into the sea. Yeah. Physical. Physical. Um, the, the woman who, uh, with the issue of blood, mm-hmm. um, she touches his garment mm-hmm. physical. We talked about that last podcast. Um, the, the girl who has died and he is saying, or when he heals her, he then gives her something to eat. Yeah. Physical. Yeah. Um, he sends out the 12, they heal the sick 
by anointing with oil, physical. Shake off the dust. Shake physical. off the dust, physical. Um, the feeding of the 5,000, very physical. Walking on water, physical. Wind, uh, fi- well, I mean physical in the sense of created order, material, yeah. um, in the created realm. Yes. And we're thinking all his power has to do with spiritual salvation yeah. for my soul. Yeah. And not that that's, that is also true, but there's, it's yeah. always connected to the physical totally. created world. Wow. So sacramental. Again, yeah. we pulled that out in the last episode with the yeah. garment, right? Going, how did we not see this? Yeah. How sacramental that is. Well, and I mean, even the feeding of the 5,000 is a sacramental text. You brought that up. Yeah. It relates to the Last Supper. But every one of those is sacramental in the sense of it is a like invisible grace that he's actually showing us through a visible means. Mm-hmm. He's using the created order because it's under him, because it's in his kingdom, because he's in control of it. Yeah. He's using it as a sign of what of the things that happen spiritually. They're not separated things. No. They function together in his kingdom. Yeah. And I have this worldview that's so embedded in me that says Jesus, so God became incarnate into a physical body yeah. so that he could then save me out yeah. of this physical created world. Yeah. And Jesus comes as incarnate in the physical body and everything he does... <laughs> involves creation and physicality and material world and is using creation to redeem creation. Yeah. Yeah. I never saw that before. It's good. It's good. Do you have anything else to uh, expand my mind with? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's all I got. I got nothing else. Well then, uh, that's the end of this episode. I hope you guys are as um, blown away by Rob's insights here as I am. Oh boy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hope you join us again for episode nine um, as we move along. We'll see you guys next time. Or you will not be seen by <laughs> us. <laughs> we will uh, just join us next time. <laughs>